In the name of Jesus, amen. On Tuesday, Professor Stigmeyer gave us a nice introduction to the season of Epiphany, explaining what the term means. We want to build on that introduction today by thinking about what is revealed as we continue to open the gift God has given us at Christmas. Lots of times you get things at Christmas and they look wonderful and the picture on the box looks fantastic, but it's going to take some time to figure out just what exactly this thing does and how to work it, like a new cell phone. Well, consider how long it might take for us to actually open this gift in which dwells all the fullness of God. One of the aspects of that opening is to see this fullness of God revealed as God's servant, the emphasis for our meditation today and the lesson from Acts. So certain pieces from the lesson help us focus on Jesus as God's servant. For example, the word that he sent to Israel. Now, God had been sending word, both law and prophecy, to Israel, and then he sent that word incarnate. So Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, fulfills all that word, both law, keeping the law for us, and prophecy, accomplishing all that God had promised through the prophets. And so Jesus of Nazareth, as the Son of God, is necessarily God's servant because he is the one who, according to Proverbs 8, was the master craftsman, fulfilling all of the Father's architectural design. According to Colossians, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews 1, who upholds all things by the word of his power. Next, the text says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. So interesting concept there. Already, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in the human nature of Jesus, and then the voice of God from heaven, and then the spirit of God from heaven. So so, uh, surrounding and imbuing this Jesus of Nazareth, born of Mary, with all the fullness of the Godhead, and we see the value of that especially if you contrast it with Samson, who also had promises and gifts from God, but because of his distance from that word of God, played fast and loose with those gifts and lost them. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power, sorry, with what real power really looks like. And we see that in other texts. For example, Philippians 2. Have this mind among you, which you have in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God as the Son of God something to grasp or cling to nervously or insecurely or selfishly, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, emptied himself, becoming obedient unto death, even the death on a cross. Or 1 Corinthians 1, the second half of that chapter. Christ crucified the wisdom of God and the power of God, for the weakness of God is stronger than men, and the folly of God is wiser than men. Or perhaps John 13.3. You know the narrative of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, but it's easy to read past what made that kind of service possible. Three things mentioned in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that all things had been given into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. 
set aside his garments, girded himself with a towel, and began to wash the disciples' feet. You see the three elements. If all things are already yours, then what else is there to do except use them in the service of others? Very different from our world where a limited number of resources are competed for all the time by those people who seek them. No time to help anyone else. I've got to get my own. That he had come from God, also in a post-Darwinian world where you're all accidents and living an accidental life, it's important for us by achievement to prove that we are worth keeping alive. Not so for one who has been created by God with good works to walk in and fulfill. And that he was going to God. No need to prove anything to himself about his destination, which lies ahead, in contrast to human beings who hope by their good works and accomplishments, by setting themselves apart from everyone else, can demonstrate why whatever powers are in charge of the afterlife should take notice and reward. None of that necessary for one who comes from God. Jesus went around doing good and healing. This is the second Adam in his own creation showing us what it looks like when someone actually conducts himself according to God's design. That's the joy of reading the gospel. So watching the kingdom of God come in Jesus to restore all things, going around healing people and healing in the absolute. I just noticed how often that absolute sense of healing is missed in the particular healings as we read about them. So in Mark 5.34, for example, the woman with the flow of blood comes behind and touches Jesus' garments, and she is healed. English translations record Jesus saying, Your faith has healed you. Go and be healed of your infirmity. Something wrong about that because of the redundancy. So I checked. Sure enough. The first word translated healed means so much more than that. So Jesus, in fact, said to the woman, your honesty about dependence, which brought her to Jesus, has and continues to save you. And within that providence of God, you're also healed of this particular infirmity. The servant of God who was put to death on the cross, death by contempt, That's the beauty of crucifixion is you get to stand there and hold the crucified one in contempt and you get to try to convince yourself that you must be right. Even that is a service that God provides. So you remember that those who accused and condemned and succeeded in getting Jesus executed by crucifixion said, if you're the Son of God, come on down from there and we'll believe you. Wait, not coming down. If he was the son of God, he would be able to save himself. So we must be right, and he's wrong. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. And there they are more right than they know. Because as the son of God, the servant of all, it is true, he cannot save himself. Not because he doesn't possess the raw power to do so, but because of his nature as God, he could do nothing else than sacrifice himself to save everyone else. And not everyone missed that. One of the Gospels records the centurion watching Jesus give his last breath and says, surely this man was the Son of God. 
whom God raised on the third day and made him to appear. So still in the service to us for 40 days, moving about demonstrating his physical resurrection in various ways and means that we might not be left to wonder about that. And so his word is preached, that is to say proclaimed, not preached in the sense of criticizing or getting in someone's face about their shortcomings, but conveying by divine proclamation those things which are the king's to give away, like the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. So in following the wake of Jesus in Christmas tide, we think about God's servants. Would you blame a drowning person for not helping other drowning people? I wouldn't. And so when we look at humanity, it's no surprise that we don't see people generally interested in others first because they're drowning. What you see Jesus do is what someone could do if that person were standing on rock in that water, easily able to move from person to person and help them up and put them on their feet and enable them also to help others. And that is the purpose of these lessons and our baptism and the Lord's Supper and all the means of grace that God so abundantly and richly provides to us through his servant. God bless us in those for Jesus' sake. Amen.